Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. We're going to dive in today. As you know, we kicked off this year talking about prayer uh, when Pastor David and I, before, before we moved into this building, uh, the last message we preached at the Courtyard Marriott was called Forward. And we said the way forward will be led by a praying people, a prophetic people, and a presence people. And so from January to through April, we taught on prayer. We put prayer into action uh, like never before in this house. We've always been a house of prayer. It's always been a priority, but um, as Pastor Tanner said this so well, I I think we really took the journey from our heads to our hearts um, as a people of prayer. And so today, now now we're diving into this series on a prophetic people. What does it mean to be a prophetic people? and a, a house that operates in the gifts of the spirit and, and in prophecy. Um, so first, I just want to say that we are sitting here today in fulfilled prophecy. Dwell Church was birthed out of, um, of multiple prophetic words um, that was spoken over David and I uh, about planting a church in the Dallas area. And, um, and so we're, we're sitting here today because of prophetic utterance that was given to us and obedient hearts that said, we're, we, we hear your word, Lord, it confirms something in our spirit and we're going to move forward with what you've told us to do. Um, so we love the prophetic. We, David and I embrace prophecy. We have lived our lives following what God has spoken to us and confirmed through his prophets. Um, we have written prophetic songs. There have been so many uh, times when, you know, David will have a, a prophetic dream or a vision or God's really speaking to our hearts in a way. And, and you know, and in, in a matter of a few months, he's written an entire album of songs based on the prophetic vision and word that the Lord has given him. And so, um, so we love the prophetic. We, uh, we embrace it here. And, uh, there have been many times in worship that we're in a flow and a prophetic declaration comes uh, through a song and it changes the atmosphere. Here's what I love about a prophetic atmosphere. Hope and faith are released in a prophetic atmosphere. That's what the prophetic is supposed to do. It elevates our perspective to see from heaven's point of view. Um. So maybe you've been around the prophetic a lot like we have, or maybe you have not. Maybe you were raised in a church um, that didn't embrace the gifts of the spirit. Maybe you weren't raised in church at all. And so the idea of prophecy, you know, seems kind of weird to you or or you, you don't fully understand it. Or maybe you've been in a church where there is a lot of prophecy and there can kind of be, you know, tendency to, to kind of feel like, oh, another prophetic word. Here we go. Um, I asked Gracie last night if I could share this, you know, uh, over the last few years when we would travel, we'll travel and minister in different churches and, 
um, and she'll go with us. And, and she has received so many prophetic words, you know, spoken over. All of our kids have. Uh, Cole loves the prophetic. Cole lights up. But Cole's our 24-year-old who's married to Anna, our beautiful daughter-in-law. He made me a mom first, and now he's making me a grandmom first. He and Anna um, having our first grandbaby in July. Um, so our kids love the prophetic, but over the last few years, as we've been in environments where prophetic words have been being spoken over her, it's been a, it's felt a little daunting to her. Like there's this pressure, um, on her to, you know, to, to be a certain way or to perform at a certain, whatever, to make it come to pass. Right. And so sometimes it can, I remember she said to, to me, like, I don't need another prophetic word. Sometimes the, the, the prophetic word that comes forth is so far out in the future. And we just need to know where do I put my foot tomorrow? And, um, and so, you know, so we have the word of God to give us direction, uh, for, for our lives. And we have people surrounding us that can, that can speak into our lives. And sometimes it's just waking up and just doing the next right thing. Right. Um, but we love when God speaks to us and, and gives us vision for the future. And so, um, so maybe you've been like that. Maybe you've been around it so much um, that you're like, I don't need another prophetic word. But there's a scripture that says, do not despise prophecy. Um, test it. Hold fast to what is true. Sometimes we, we receive a word and maybe there's a portion of it that speaks to us right now where we are and it confirms something in our hearts. But there might be another portion of that word that we may not see come to pass to like 10 years later, you know? And so we didn't even know and, and, and we walked years down the road and we say, oh my goodness, that was spoken over me years ago. And um, so, so we love that. Um, so however you feel about the prophetic, whether you've ever prophesied, whether you've ever received a word, you need to know that if you are a part of the church of the living God, which I believe you are, that means that you are a prophetic people. And I'm going to show you why. First Peter chapter two, verses nine and 10 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So you need to understand that in the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God had a covenant with his people Israel. And only through the sacrifice of Jesus, and, and I'm going to... I'm going to lay this out for you in a moment, how all Old Testament prophecy pointed uh, to the Messiah coming and that all nations would have a place at the table. We would be grafted in. We Gentiles, we who were not a people have become the people of God. And so we are a prophetic people, whether you realize it or not. Um, and so I'm going to, um, I'm going to move into some scripture here from the Old Testament Old Testament prophecy pointed to the Messiah that would come and make a way for all nations, not just Israel, to be the people of God. Um, so in Zechariah chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, Shout and be glad, daughter Zion. 
for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. We're a part of those many nations. Um, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 49, verse 6 said, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah also prophesied in chapter two, verse two, he said, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And then most of us who have been in charismatic Spirit-filled Pentecostal circles. We know what Joel prophesied in chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So we have all this Old Testament prophecy that's pointing uh, to the Messiah, to Jesus coming and making a way for all of us to enter in, all nations. Um, so Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, submitted to his father, died on the cross for us, resurrected on the third day. We just celebrated it a few weeks ago. And then before he ascended into heaven, he appeared to his apostles multiple times over a period of 40 days. And we're in that 40 day time right now from resurrection to Pentecost. Um, but Luke wrote about it in, in Acts chapter one. And I'm going to, I'm going to read this because Jesus, you know, gave the, gave the apostles the great commission, go and make disciples. But then he also said, but wait for the promise of my father to come. Okay. So Luke writes in Acts chapter one, verse one, he says in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I love it. This is this period of time that we're in right now. So powerful. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in verse eight, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so that's what the apostles did. They waited on the promise in the upper room. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, Peter stepped up and he quotes 
Joel that I just read to you from the Old Testament, what, what Joel prophesied. He said in Acts 2, chapter, six, uh, chapter 2, verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And he, your sons and daughters will prophesy. You know, this is that that was prophesied, okay? Um, so the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2, the fulfillment of prophecy yet again. And with the Holy Spirit, with the third person of the Trinity, came these beautiful gifts. Came these spiritual gifts that we uh, get to receive. We can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, we taught on this the last, the last uh, Sunday in our prayer series about being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, but there is another level, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so when we receive him in that way, we get to receive his gifts. Um, so the New Testament church spoke in tongues and operated in the gifts of the spirit. So much so that Paul gave detailed instruction in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 about how these gifts were to function in the church. And so I actually think that would be really great homework for everyone here this week. Read 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, um, because that's what we're that's what we're laying out here and in the coming weeks. Um, so Paul gave detailed instructions of how these gifts should function. Paul writes chapter 12 as an introduction to the gifts of the spirit. And then in chapter 14, he brings order to them. But in between these two chapters, we find chapter 13 with a beautiful emphasis on love. Paul says that I can have all these incredible gifts, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Why is that? Because love is the necessary motivator for all spiritual gifts. I'm going to say that again. You might want to write it down. Love is the necessary motivator for all spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not given so that we can make a name for ourselves, show people how powerful we are, become a famous preacher, teacher, prophet, fill in the blank of whatever your dream is. Um, spiritual gifts are given to edify, to build up the church. Yes. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse one. Then I'm going to skip to 4 through 11. We're reading a lot of scripture today. I think that's, I think that's a good thing. I think that's probably something that should be happening in the house of the Lord. Maybe a little more often than some places. Okay. Or, all right. Now I'm dipping. Okay. All right. Now about the gifts of the spirit. This is the apostle Paul teaching us about the gifts of the spirit. He says now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit, a message of wisdom to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues all these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines so we see listed there all of the spiritual gifts but obviously for this series we are honing in on prophecy specifically um so before we dive into again i'm, I'm laying some groundwork today kind of laying a foundation um i want to talk about why would someone not believe in the gifts of the spirit? I think a lot of times um, we maybe know what we believe, but we don't understand really why someone else wouldn't believe in the gifts. And I think it's really important uh, to defend our faith and kind of understand, you know, um, understand another theology. So I'm going to talk about first the myth of extinction of the gifts. Okay. The myth of extinction. This is called cessationism. Maybe you've heard that word before. Um, what is a cessationist? A cessationist is someone who believes that the gifts of the spirit have ceased. Okay. And are not for us today. I can remember, um, I have this little story. I remember being in middle school art class and I was sitting next to this, um, friend of mine and he was, a good Southern Baptist, and he found out that I was from like a spirit-filled Pentecostal church. And he was like, speaking in tongues is of the devil, you know? And I remember like going, why? Why would a Christian believe that? Why, you know? Um, we have another uh, a testimony, someone in our family, uh, you know, part of our family, my dad's side was uh, Southern Baptist. They did not believe in the gifts of the spirit. And my dad did, but, but some of his family did not. And I have a cousin who was baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues as used mightily by the Lord. And, you know, she had family that cut her off because they so believed, they were so adamantly against uh, this gift of speaking in tongues and in the gifts of the spirit. And so why would that be? So um, you need to know there are doctrines that certain groups have held to believe that the gifts of the spirit ceased after the early church. So why in the world would someone be a cessationist? Number one, lack of experience with the gifts. Lack of experience with the gifts. No cessationist can make his case on scripture alone because the scripture does not support the notion that the gifts would end. Okay, you need to know that. There's no scripture that supports this. But a lack of experience with the work of the Holy Spirit is not a valid theological argument that the gifts of the Spirit are not operating today. But here's the deal. If I'm someone who has never experienced these things, I'm in a church that's not teaching these things, um, I'm not going to experience them. So I'm probably not going to believe in the gifts of the Spirit, right? 
Um, so, but you need to know, just as I shared the testimony of my cousin, there are many people after experiencing these gifts have changed their conviction, left their tradition. You probably know someone like this and embraced what the scriptures teach is for us today. So lack of experience with the gifts. Number two, why would someone not believe in the gifts? Cessationists believe God has withdrawn these gifts. They believe that the spirit and his gifts were poured out, but that somewhere within the first or second century of the church, God withdrew these gifts. Uh, it's like God just vacuumed up the Holy Spirit out of the earth. Um, so why would the father send the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with the infilling of the Holy Spirit only to remove these gifts and this power after the early church? Um, because I'm not sure if you've noticed, but we still need the power of the Holy Spirit to advance God's kingdom in the earth. We are living in some dark days and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill us, fill us with power. We long for your gifts. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was so important to Jesus, like I read earlier at the Great Commission, that when he told the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel, he also said, but wait for the gift that my father has promised. So I think if Jesus thought it was pretty important that we needed the Holy Spirit, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't really believe that God would change his mind and, and remove these gifts, okay? Number three, cessationists believe that which is perfect has come. I'm going to explain this. Let me explain. Let me explain. Let me explain. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Paul writes this, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So the way a cessationist interprets this scripture is that they, they believe that that which is perfect came uh, when the canon of scripture was complete. So in 433 AD, the, the church fathers, you know, they all gathered, they already had the canon of the old Testament, but, um, but they were ag agreed upon the, the canon of the new Testament, what books of the new Testament were, were to be included in the canon of scripture. So they believe once we had the perfection of our Bibles, that we no longer needed the gifts of the spirit. Okay. Um, but we, we who are continualists, that's what we are. Those who believe that the gifts of the spirit continue are continuing in this present day. Continualists would interpret that scripture that as when, when Jesus returns, when the perfect one is with us, when we are eternally with the Lord, um, we will no longer need preachers, teachers, prophets, tongues, because in the eternal realm with Jesus, these things will not be needed. Love will remain. That's what Paul said, okay? Um, so that's how we interpret that scripture. Um, okay, 
There are more people living today than ever in the history of the world. Why would we not need the power of the Holy Spirit to edify and strengthen the church so she can fulfill her mission and mandate in the earth? So bottom line is scripture does not support cessationism, the idea that these gifts have ceased. Um, Also, it's important to know that cessationist Um, there's no other portion of Paul's teaching that cessationists depart from. It's only the spiritual gifts or the the charismata is the Greek word for spiritual gifts. Um, And so so this is the only portion of scripture that cessationists um, don't believe. They agree with the rest of Paul's writings. Um, Okay. So. I'm not boring you, am I? I like all the, I like all the, stuff. I want to know. I want to learn. I want to, I want to know the word of God. I have a passion to teach the word of God. Um, so we who are continualists, we advance our view of scripture through Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the church has not arrived yet. We are still maturing. We still need the gifts of the spirit to mature, to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Who wants to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Oh, Jesus, we want the fullness, the fullness. Okay, so I've explained that. All of that. Okay, now we're going to dive into some foundations of prophetic ministry. Um, all right, y'all ready? You, you might want to write some stuff down. I think we should become a note-taking church, but that's just so. Or on your phone or on your device. I love this. Foundations of prophetic ministry. We understand from scripture that there are four levels of prophetic utterance in ministry. Okay, four levels of prophetic utterance and ministry. And I'm gonna list them and then I'm gonna dive into each one, okay? So the first one is a fancy way to say scripture. I like the word, inscripturated prophetic revelation. Somebody say inscripturated prophetic revelation. Scripture, we have the word of God. That is the first level of prophetic utterance and ministry. And I'm going to dive into that here in a second. The second is the ministry of the New Testament prophet, the fivefold ministry gift. We have apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist. And um, so prophet is one of those, the ministry of the New Testament prophet. So that was number two. Number three, we have the gift of prophecy. So in the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit uh, may give us, some of us may really operate in that. Some of us uh, may not all the, uh, you know, on a continual basis. But so the gift of prophecy was number three. And then number four is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, we can all get in on that. And I'll talk about that. Okay, so the first one is scripture. In scripturated prophetic revelation. This is really important for us to know that scripture is the purest, 
most reliable and highest realm of inspired prophetic revelation. Okay, all other forms and realms of prophecy are judged by this, okay? The word of God is the standard by which the quality and genuineness of other prophetic revelation is measured, okay? So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Who wants to be thoroughly equipped for every good work? I do, I do. Pick me. Um, and then we have Romans chapter 16, starting at verse 25 says now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So we cannot over overemphasize the preeminence of the scripture as the first and highest realm of prophecy. We must understand that the canon of scripture is complete and there is no new revelation being given today that is on the same level of authority as scripture, okay? Um, this is how, you know, religions like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness were started because there was a prophet who had a revelation uh, or a word from God that they believed was on the same level of scripture. And so a new religion was formed. So and the Mormons believe that the book of Mormon is even higher than the Bible. So, so that's why this is so vital that we understand this, that we're not, um, you know, swayed by false doctrine. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to highlight a few other differences a few differences between Old Testament prophecy and present day prophecy. Okay, so we've established that the scripture is the highest realm of, of prophetic utterance. We judge all other prophecy by the word of God. But what is the difference between Old Testament prophecy and present day prophecy? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna share those with you. The first one is we do not judge the prophecy of Old Testament scripture we believe it. We are encouraged, however, to judge or evaluate present day prophecy and to hold fast to that which is good. So if both Old and New Testament prophecies were the same, this wouldn't be the case. Some portions of prophecy received may fit or confirm something in your life now and other portions may come to pass in the future. I, I mentioned that earlier. So you can see uh, in 1 Corinthians, if you're, if you're writing anything down, 1 Corinthians 14 and 29 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Um, I'll read 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Paul says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. I read this earlier, but he says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So how do we test it? How do we measure it? We, we measure it by the word. Yes. So the second difference is... Um, that the believers who are gifted in this area, who are given the gift of prophecy, are told that they, can, they exercise control over the gift that the Holy Spirit has entrusted to them. 
In 1 Corinthians 14.32, Paul wrote, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. So the implication is clear that present day prophetic people exercise the control to release or withhold the gift at their discretion. Okay, in the Old Testament, God, you know, that's how God spoke was through the law and through his prophets. So he would, he would command his prophets, go and tell, you know, it was a command. And so, you know, so in, in the New Testament, we have the, um, the ability to discern and to also be, um, under, you know, submission of the leadership of a house, how, how we function in this house. And so, um, so that was number two, number three, I love this one. The main thrust of present day prophecy is to stir up, to build up and to cheer up. Stir up, build up, and cheer up. Most of Old Testament prophecy was primarily ethical and predictive. But so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, Paul writes, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Um, so this is not a way to bring... Um, you know, a harsh word, all of this is done in love and we want to build people up with this gift of, of prophecy. Okay, number four, the fourth difference between Old Testament and present day prophecy. In the Old Testament economy, people had to inquire of the prophet to know what God was saying to them. Today, every believer that is baptized in the Holy Spirit can pray and potentially prophesy. Believers today can inquire of the Lord themselves and receive miraculous and specific answers to prayer. Okay. So those are differences. Um, keep, I'm going to keep moving so we can all make our lunch reservations. Okay. Number two, back to the four levels of prophetic utterance and ministry. The first one was scripture. The second one is the ministry of the new Testament prophet. Um, that is like the office of a prophet. Okay. The new Testament prophet is one of the five ascension gifts in Ephesians four eleven. These are the fivefold ministry gifts that Jesus gave when he ascended. I've already listed them. I'll list them again. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. The new Testament prophet is a gift extension of Christ himself along with the four other ascension offices given by Christ to the church for her equipping and maturing. So we've had um, prophets here in the house come and minister. Malik Edwards is one of them. He'll be back in June. Um, Hank Kuhneman is another one. Um, people that who stand really in the office of a prophet and who um, speak in, in that five-fold ministry function. Um, okay, all of the prophetic revelation of the New Testament prophet is in the context of Christ speaking to his church and to the world, calling it to repentance, regeneration, and redemption. The ascension gift of the prophet plays a very strong role along with the other four ascension gift ministries in equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay, the New Testament prophet, y'all still with me? Y'all still with me? Okay, the New Testament prophet... Um, consistently will operate, um, they'll operate consistently and accurately in many of the fo this following list. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning spirits, prophecy, prediction, visions, confirmation, correction, prophetic revelation, and prophetic preaching and teaching. Okay? So the four levels of prophetic utterance and ministry. First one is 
Second one is New Testament prophet. And the third one is the gift of prophecy. I hope this is bringing some clarity. I know, I feel like a lot of times we know these things, but we don't really know these things, right? So the gift of prophecy is one of the nine gifts of the spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. This gift is sovereignly given by the Holy Spirit to whom he selects. Paul refers to this gift as one of the best for the purpose of edifying the church and corporate gatherings. Paul challenged believers in 1 Corinthians 14, 39 uh, and verse 12 to excel to prophecy and to especially desire to prophesy. Um, And so there's two schools of thought on these gifts and how they're given out, um, how the spirit distributes these gifts. One is that the gift once given is resident in the believer that once you have it, you can operate in that gift through prayer and cultivating that gift. Um, in your relationship with the Lord. The second school of thought is that the spirit may give any believer a gift whenever he chooses, but no one gift is ever resident in the believer. We, we believe, you know, the, the first, typically we see that when someone is functioning in a gift that has a gift of the spirit, they tend to um, consistently function in that gift. So we believe that a gift takes up residence in you, but that doesn't mean you won't maybe under the spirit of prophecy or in a, in a, in a certain setting, um, you wouldn't move in the gift of healing, right. Or, or, you know, something else, but, but typically we're given a gift and it takes up residence as long as we continue to walk toward the Lord, cultivate it, all those things. Okay. So number one, scripture, number two, the New Testament prophet, number three, the gift of prophecy, and number four is the spirit of prophecy. And this is the one that um, we all get to get in. And I feel like I function in this a lot. I don't necessarily feel that I consistently uh, function in the gift of prophecy, but when I am in a prophetic atmosphere, I definitely function, I've, you know, it gets on you. And you find yourself declaring things. And and so the spirit of prophecy is released in the atmosphere of the presence of God. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 14, 24, that all can prophesy. Yet in 1 Corinthians 12, 29, he asked the rhetorical question, are all prophets? So obviously not. Not everyone is a prophet, but all can prophesy. Paul encourages all believers to desire to prophesy. Therefore, it is believed that in the corporate worship of the church, there is an atmosphere of God's presence where many people, I'm sure you've experienced this. Many people may sense the Holy Spirit giving them a thought, giving them a word, putting a burden on them to pray, or they may see something in the spirit even though they may not have that gift operating in them consistently. This is what is meant by the spirit of prophecy. In Joel 2.28, when Joel prophesied that the spirit will be poured out on all flesh, this suggests that the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of prophecy is a corporate anointing upon the church to witness the presence of Jesus among his people. So are you happy that we can all prophesy? (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'm going to wrap this up. Brother Clay, Brother Clay, will you come to the keys? And um, 
we're going to close out the day. I really just felt like um, just just teaching this today and um, laying this groundwork. So I've laid some groundwork on this topic of prophecy in the church. We are a prophetic house, and Pastor David and I, we desire to see you function in this gift in an even greater way. Um, we These spiritual gifts, uh, okay, <laughs> these spiritual gifts should not be seen as weird. I'm going to say it again. These spiritual gifts should not be seen as weird. Speaking in tongues and prophetic utterance is not weird. The New Testament church operated in these gifts, and we should too. This is the normal Christian life. This is the normal kingdom life. People giving and receiving edification through these gifts is normal. And the more they're talked about is weird. Here's the thing. The more it's talked about is weird, the more they're handed off to a type of people that maybe shouldn't be handling them. Right? But for those of us who know the word of God, we practice, you know, Orthodox Christianity. We are the ones who should be embracing these things, modeling them with character and handling them properly. So the church can move into these gifts safely and with confidence, knowing that they are from God. So I'm just going to close with this last word from the Apostle Paul. Babe, will you come join me? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Paul writes, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So I just want to pray in this moment, and I just want to say, Holy Spirit, you are honored here. You are not shunned here. You are not taken to a back room. You are honored here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We want to know you. We want to be filled with you. We want to be filled uh, with the gifts of your Holy Spirit. We want to function. We want to edify your body, Jesus. We want to bring a word. We want to stir someone up. We want to uh, encourage someone. We want to build them up. We want to cheer them up with what God thinks about them. We want to have ears to hear what you're saying, and we want to proclaim it with boldness. So Holy Spirit, we say we long for you. Give us your gifts, Holy Spirit. We desire them. We honor them and we want to be good stewards of your gifts in Jesus name. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.